Welcome back, Rev Divers. It has been a minute since we chatted with everybody. As you know, Kem and I were kind of bouncing around the country doing our spring uh, circuit of speaker season stuff, right? Talking all over. And I think this time we actually went coast to coast, Kem. Did we we sure did. We actually went international. So. <laughs> yeah, we did. Well, you did. You did. I didn't make that trip. Um, we are super excited today, one, to be home in our own spaces, but also to be chatting about something kind of futuristic for us. So today we have Andrew Lockhart on the show. Andrew, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Absolutely. We are super excited. So for those of you that don't know, Andrew is the CEO of Fathom, and they're all about AI tech for medical coding. And um, can you... This is so exciting for me. So I don't want to get too nerdy. Kem and I are big nerds. I don't know if you can see that we both have Star Wars stuff in our backgrounds, but I want to talk first and foremost, just in case listeners don't know, can you give us a high level of like, what is AI? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, it's sort of an amorphous term um, that most people just use it to describe something that you know, seems hard for a machine to do, um, gets bucketed as AI, uh, is it being intelligent? Like, you know, at one point spreadsheets were AI, uh, and now, oh, wow. you know, we have excited. So whatever the bleeding edge of what machines can do tends to get bucketed as AI. The other way people sometimes think about it is, is the wave of technology. And so the, the flavor of AI that's really come to the forefront recently, if you guys have been playing around with things like chat GPT or some of the image generation or deep fakes. This is all driven by something called deep learning. Um, and what really stands out about deep learning and makes it different from, you know, historical waves of AI is that one, it seems just incredibly powerful. And the reason it does is the insight that drove all of it is rather than ha- trying to create a whole bunch of rules to try and mimic, you know, sort of a human dis- like decision pattern what deep learning does is it just feeds a machine tons of inputs and outputs. So in our case at Fathom, tons of coded encounters, so documentation, final codes, and uses that, you feed that to cloud computing and the machine ends up writing essentially millions of rules itself that allows it to do these very nuanced um, things. And that that is what's driving this, the same, same sort of underpinning technology is what's driving cars uh, in running all these exciting things. So that makes me think of something like I'm sure Cam, you're probably in the same place, but like I will go online in social media and I see like I made a bot watch, you know, 15,000 episodes of Dawson's Creek and then write an episode. So I imagine it's kind of like that. We're feeding information and just looking at the output. Does that mean I should be worried about like the Skynet Terminator movies? Like that's what comes to mind when I think AI, I think, oh, man. Right here comes this robot who can turn into a metal puddle and mm-hmm. and follow me everywhere. If my name is Sarah Connor, do I need to kind of worry about that, or is this? Are we? <laughs> it's no. that is you know a subject of debate amongst people who are far smarter than me um, <laughs> and, and me. So, yeah, I mean, it's interesting to me that like right now the world's most brilliant AI minds. Um, can't agree as to, you know, how much we should be cautious about this versus like, you know, full speed ahead. 
the potential there is obviously enormous. Like you think about just the challenges the U.S. healthcare system is going to face uh, from a cost structure, and you know AI has the potential to you know, drastically reduce cost of care and make it turn this system into something that's sustainable with an aging population. But yeah, there there are a lot of people who feel like there's inf- you know, existential risk potentially here. And the nice thing is, is it is all like software that exists in the cloud. So there is no, no puddle bots running around yet. Well, that's good to know. And glad to hear <laughs> that there's no puddles that we need to be on the lookout for. Um, but in terms of how the healthcare industry is seeking to optimize AI, uh, as a certified professional coder, I love the thought of providing support to physicians, nurse practitioners, and other healthcare practitioners, as well as folks like me and our web divers to provide us with support in kind of automating that decision-making and rules engine that goes into uh, coding and medical record documentation. Um, And we would love to kind of pick your brain about what's happening um, in that area of AI through um, medical coding. Yeah, so this is this has been a very exciting time uh, for us at Fathom, the industry writ large, in that what we're seeing is stuff that, you know, when we got Fathom started, if you told me that we could do, you know, half of, call it moderate complex ca- cases, say emergency department, uh, today I'd be like, very impressed. What we're seeing is the technology has moved so quickly that, you know, we're reaching into the high nineties. And I think some of our clients will have a hundred percent coding automation by end of year. Um, and, and when I say coding automation, I mean, that basically is for each encounter, the system has done everything you'd expect it to do. Uh, you'd expect a coder to do at a level of accuracy greater than, you know, than a manual process. Um, and so it's tremendously exciting. And what we're seeing is, is it's, it is creating real bandwidth. So we have a lot of clients in the primary care space who historically they had their physicians do all the coding because the volume, the primary care volume is so great. Um, and you just can't hire enough coders to do that. And you now have this intersection of physician burnout, uh, and this technology coming along where, you know, for the first time, some of these very large primary care practices are basically having everything externally coded because AI has made it affordable. At the same time, they've really placed an emphasis on the physician, the physician or provider quality of quality of life. Wow. So like every few years, I feel like um, coders get nervous about their overall like position in the industry, right? Like when we shifted to EHRs at first, everybody was like, oh, coders are going away. No one's ever going to need them anymore. But when I've spoken, I've spoken with a few organizations that have AI supporting their coding and they haven't gotten rid of their coders. It's really like it helped them become less short staffed than they were before. Do you find that that's a trend? Like people are going to keep their coders, like they still have a role and this is just creating like more reach within the organization? Or do you think that AI is just going to replace that role and these people should start looking for different positions? I think that the, I mean, the interesting question is, is so pre-pandemic, the average age of a medical coder in the United States was 54. So you could play that forward, imagine a 57. Um, 
the, about right. <laughs> the, 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 the demographic uh, that had the highest rate of workforce abandonment um, over the past three years was 55 to 64 year old women. And so you had basically, which, you know, overlaps very heavily with the coding population. Um, you, you had a population that was already really short staff and a whole bunch of people come out of it. And at the same time, there doesn't seem to be as many new coders being produced. And so I think really for the folks that you know are pursuing a coding career, there's so much opportunity because they're, they are so short staffed and it's more fun now because rather than having to go through and just do these rote routine examples, the machine handles all of that. And so you're now able to work to the top of your credential and only have to code out these encounters that are challenging, weird, idiosyncratic, like solve the tough problems that made coding initially exciting and interesting to you. Um, so you'd be able to do lots of that, denials management, working with physicians on documentation improvement. I, I, I'm, I'm with like the same, you know, our clients are doing the same thing that you've heard from other folks. It just seems like you've got this tremendous, these tremendously talented people who are now just going to be able to do more of what's interesting rather than having to do all this rather rote work to make sure that your claims are going out on time. Well, and Kim, you're a coder. How does that make you feel? Like, what do you think when you said work at the top of your credential? Were you? I saw your face light up a little bit. You know, so coding individual encounters is not the best use of your resources, your manual resources. And I, I think this is what we kind of learned, you know, through the public health emergency is how can we do more with less but then how can we optimize and use our team to the best of their talent, to the highest level of their capability? And having someone like me sit down and code a manual encounter is not the best use of my time. Uh, so I a thousand percent believe that AI is going to positively impact medical coding and, and that space. Uh, and you know, I what I also kind of see is uh, doing coding audits and chart reviews, there's a lot of data that we pull manually from, from those reviews. And then we use that data to educate providers and their staff on best practices on documentation. Uh, however, there's also seems to be an opportunity for AI to provide some, some predictions um, in that process, right? And I'd love to get your perspective, Andrew, on how we can use our data um, to make business decisions. You mean as coders or? So, so as we're using kind of that machine learning and AI um, to, to kind of get ideas on bell curves and how, you know, how physicians are documenting and what their patterns um, of documentation look like, um, are there any um, are, are there any opportunities for us to use that AI, that information that we're getting from AI to make business decisions? Yeah, I mean, I take that two ways. One, I think just the amount of routine labor that can be performed by the AI is going to free folks up to be able to do some of that more executive analysis that you wouldn't have time to do um, just because you're flooded with you know, getting things out the door. Um, but two, yeah, answering questions around that and querying. Um, this is stuff is very, very good at performing that analysis and doing it in a 
really human way. So, you know, querying like questions like, Hey, like, you know, which, which physician tends to, you know, how many, how many systems does Dr. X typically review in an encounter? Uh, why is it the case? Was it common? Like and answer questions like that, that the machine is holding the context of what might be hundreds of thousands of encounters in its head and can able to, you know, give you that like needle and haystack answer um, across those data sets that I think is going to be enormously exciting. Also, you could, you know, actually even provide that those resources directly to the physician. Like, I do think you'll get a point where the physician, instead of being like, hey, like this should have been a level four or level five, like what's going on here? And then someone have to like, you know, have it out with, you know, Dr. Brown, you can just, Dr. Brown can just chat with AI and, you know, it'll explain in a detailed fashion why this was this way, point to, you know, the coding guidelines, exactly how it all works, um, rather than getting caught in a big loop. I was just going to add to that, you know, part of the, the challenge that providers have is understanding the complexity of, of coding rules, right? So having that kind of clinical, I think in EMR, you have uh, CDS, clinical decision-making tools, right? Um, and having that type of decision-making tool um, from an AI perspective for a physician who is trying to document in between patients or documenting after, you know, hours when they're at home, you know, dealing with kids and family, um, having that support that's automated, that that can work with them on their time frame and at their skill level, uh, I think would be a game changer for providers. Yeah, the I, I think we're just going to see a very exciting shift for providers that is going to make their experience uh, much better. Um, I think if you would have asked me five years ago uh, when we're going to get to a point of just system ambiently listening to dialogue in a care setting and creating all of the all of the notes in a detailed and super functional and compliant fashion i would have said decades away um but i i, I think it'll happen in the next you know five to ten years where you'll you will have fully autonomous scribes operating within the care settings and so you know they don't even have to document anymore they can just be fully present with the patient um, which I think would be going to be super exciting. I completely agree. And, you know, while you guys were talking, I just started thinking about one of the biggest challenges that we see right now is recruiting staff and retaining staff. And whether you're a physician or a coder or a manager that's looking to assess, right, and look at trends, I if I had an AI system when I was a practice administrator, I don't think I would have left that facility. This is just me personally. Like, can you imagine like Kim being a coder and like, I'm going to look for a new job. Wait, nobody else uses this AI. I have to manually code everything again. Like, never mind. I'm going to stay where I am. I just wonder if this long term and this this huge resource that it is for several departments in, in any clinic or facility, like if that's going to help drive retention of employees because it's such a significant resource. Yeah, I, th I I think absolutely. And I think it also is going to um, make a lot of roles much more rich. Uh, these tools are super fun. It's exciting. And like you get to work with a new technology 
uh, and push the boundaries of what can be done from a productivity perspective. Um, I, I think the next few years for the right people are going to be some of the most fulfilling years they've had at work because they basically get to adopt an entirely new wave of technology and figure out how it works into their workflows, uh, which I think is, you know, frankly, like I, I have a blast every day. Uh, there's a disproportionate amount of my work today that's just done by various AI tools that it, it, and I probably spend too much time playing with them, but it's fun. <laughs> you know, making your job fun, um, I think, is so essential, particularly in healthcare, right? We're not dealing with a space that is free of tension and stress at all times, and we have all these tight timelines. I think the more fun your day can be, the better. Yeah, absolutely. So, Andrew, we've we've talked a lot about the the technology that's in the industry. Um, we'd love to to really kind of give our listeners an idea about what you and the team at Fathom are doing in this space and how you're innovating. Yeah. So, uh, you know, at the top, I gave a little background on deep learning. Um, so that technology Fathom really is the pioneer in terms of applying it uh, to medical coding. Uh, and so, you know, you could think a lot of the way Fathom works is we're a lot like a coding services company. Only differences as opposed to, you know, a bunch of people, you know, in office somewhere, it's all done in the cloud. Um, and so our clients, uh, basically, they ship us the encounters, the documentation to be coded, we turn around codes. Uh, and, you know, it's going to be somewhere between, you know, 85 to, you know, call it 98, 99% of the encounters are going to come back fully coded. Uh, and so the experience for our clients is that they basically overnight hired the most productive coder they've ever had that just kind of sits in the background and gets stuff done. Awesome. Now, as we, as we tend to do, we, we obviously value your expertise and your knowledge and your background. Um, is there any advice, knowing what you know from your lens that you could share with our rev divers who are billers and coders and um, hospital executives and even software folks, is there any advice that you would give them in, in terms of like adopting um, the, the, the model that we've been discussing today? Yeah. So I'd say the big thing is, is play with the tools. I think proficiency in terms of managing these AIs, working with them, thinking about ways they can integrate and accelerate is going to be a huge differentiator for people in the employment market or as employers. Uh, and so, you know, maybe, you know, at your office or company, they're not like letting you play with some of this stuff in the professional setting. It doesn't stop you from, you know, going home and hopping on chat GPT and using it to, I don't know, write funny poems for your kids or, you know, they're, they're, the applications are really kind of only bound by your own creativity. And so I just encourage people to play. Um, and soon enough, like when you play with it in one setting, you'll begin to have ideas and, as to how, like what the potential of it could be in your professional environment. Wow, that's wonderful advice. Thank you so much for being with us today, Andrew. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. It's been so great. And I appreciate the questions. They're fantastic. Yeah. Oh, we love it. We're going to have to have you on another episode when we uh, do some more talking about Skynet. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's people with a lot more tinfoil in their headwear that I think you 
be better suited for those conversations <laughs> than me. But Fair enough. Well, again, yeah. thanks so much, Andrew. Um, and Rev Divers, until we meet again, keep diving into those Rev Cycles.